Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. You can now sign up to be a member of The Great Indoors Insiders. You get to support the podcast, enjoy ad-free listening, get bonus content, as well as first dibs on ticketed events. Just visit thegreatindoorspodcast.com. That's thegreatindoorspodcast.com. But before we get into this week's guest interview, we wanted to introduce you to our lovely new sponsors, Natural Mat. Natural Mat make beds and mattresses by hand in Devon using natural, organic and renewable materials with absolutely zero chemicals, synthetics or glues. Natural materials are more breathable, more comfortable and longer lasting, all of which contributes to a better and healthier night's sleep and I am all about good sleep. (laughs) Oh, me too. More and more research is coming out all the time on the importance of sleep to our overall health and happiness, especially, I have to add, in your midlife. Oh, tell me about it. I went to boarding school and we had mattresses made of horsehair and straw and they were so old they had a kind of huge dip in the middle and you could only sleep in one position. These days, possibly as a result of that, I move around a lot and I need to know my mattress can cope. Oh my goodness, I'm absolutely comatose by the time I go to bed. Anyway, aside from whatever bedroom acrobatics you're getting up to, on a more serious note, did you know that the majority of mattresses in the UK are still sprayed with chemical fire retardants, which Natural Mat have always considered unnecessary? Instead, the organic wool they use, which they buy directly from farmers on their doorstep in Devon, renders their mattresses naturally fire retardant. This is why, when my son Arthur was born, I bought a natural mat mattress for his crib, as I didn't want my perfect little newborn baby breathing in any chemicals throughout the night. But I also didn't want him sleeping on a horsehair and straw mattress uh, either. Yes, no, fair enough. I don't recommend that. However, I love that fact that wool is naturally fire retardant. Who knew? You do love a fact. That is true. Anyway, to learn more about Natural Mat's organic beds and mattresses, head to their website at naturalmat.co.uk or visit one of their showrooms in London, Devon and the Cotswolds. And listeners can receive 10% off their first order with Natural Mat, either online, in-store or over the phone by using the code GREATINDOORS10. Valid until the 31st of August 2023. Thank you, Natural Mat. Now, on today's show, we are so excited to be chatting to television presenter, upholsterer extraordinaire, interior designer and aspiring digital nomad, Michaela Sharp. But before Michaela joins us, Kate, a quick catch up. My kitchen (laughs) is almost finished. The installers leave tomorrow. Does this mean you're going to turn into an amazing cook? Because you've all been about how you're not really a cook. Do you know what? I think it is. Oh, is it? I think this is going to be... The turning point. This is kind of like the first time I've ever got to design my dream kitchen at the grand old age of 48. You know, usually I've inherited the kitchen we've moved in. I've, you know, made and made do. Uh, And this is the first time I've had a kitchen designed to my specifications. And I got a feeling I might be baking. Oh my word. Not just cooking dinner. Yeah. Actual baking. Yeah. I think so. I think you're going to have to prize me away from that kitchen island. I think you're going to be not wanting to mess it up, so you're just going to be posing (laughs) on your bar stools at your island, drinking artisanal tea. That's what I think. (laughs) 
and hiding the packets that the biscuits came in and just arranging them on a plate. What was that thing in that book? For the school cake fair where they used to buy ready-made cakes and bash them about a bit and scatter icing. <laughs> and then when I come round to record the podcast in person, you'll be like, oh, look at this I made. Don't look at the packet. That's a question for a podcast, <laughs> isn't it? Does the kitchen maketh the cook? Well, you see, yeah. I mean, I think there's some famous cooks who are the antithesis of that. I'm thinking of our lovely Rachel Koo, who we interviewed didn't she with her little Paris kitchen where she created I like, was thinking taught of her, herself yeah. to be a cordon bleu French cook in like a two yeah. by one and a half metre sized kitchen in a Paris apartment didn't she that was never going to that sort of kitchen was never going to inspire me to cook so hats off to Rachel <laughs> or am I just going to become one of those unbearable Instagram faffers who's just always filming myself doing reels of me putting beautiful flowers in vases and polishing my brass knobs I mean is that going to be me well I think I think we should put a poll up on Instagram <laughs> when this podcast comes out <laughs> What do people think Sophie's going to be do? Kitchen faffa or actual kitchen cook in her fancy new kitchen? Oh, I think I know which way that might go. Either way, I'm very excited for the big reveal. We're not quite there yet, but it's it's coming. Meanwhile, my kitchen aside, you've been very quietly in the background, taking little solicited trips to uh Italy, how's it all going? Well, we had to go for a lightning trip because the lady we bought the house from moved into the house in 1964. And, you know, not much has been done since then. So we're very lucky that the roof is fine, you know, the structure's fine, but it absolutely needs rewiring to bring it, you know, not just out of the 20th century, but into the 21st. So it needs a full rewire, which is is kind of the biggest thing we're doing, actually. So we had to go over there to literally count the sockets and the switches and work out what switch turned on what thing. And there's a... There's a thing that I think is peculiar to Italian households, which is quite interesting, is that all the bedrooms have two switches, two light switches in them. And one is for the light, the sort of central light or the wall lights in the room. And the other one is for the landing outside, which I think the only point can be if you need to get up for a wee in the night, you can turn the landing light on from your bedroom. Sounds like a brilliant idea. It is really interesting. So, you know, it was working out all that and then discovering that there's a bank of four switches on a wall and you can't, you don't know what any of them do, either because all the bulbs are broken or because they've fallen into disrepair or, you know, so that's, that's a mammoth job and it's just started. And how are you finding project managing from the UK, a project in Italy? Well, considering when you were living with builders, <laughs> nearly tipped you over the edge. I think this is the joy of it. This is the joy of it. I'm not living in it. No, we have found actually an amazing architect. So she's project managing it for us. And, and that's a real treat because I've never, I've never had a project manager before. You know, I've always done it myself. But, you know, logistically, because we're not in the same country. She's Italian, she speaks English, so she's overseeing the builders, going there twice a week. You know, we're having Zoom meetings with her and she's done all the paperwork, so we're we're so lucky because there were certain amounts of paperwork we weren't even aware you had to do. You know, like the council has to have an up-to-date floor plan of your house and they need to know if you're going to change that. So it's not really about planning permission, it's just about them knowing what your house looks like inside and the, and the plans for it. So she's been able to do all that, which hopefully we're right at the beginning. I'm going to say this is going to make it a lot easier. Talk to me again. They're going to be there for five months. I might be broken again. <laughs> <laughs> and on the, um, on the note of kind of like budget, are you finding it 
trades and materials more expensive same cheaper in italy just wondering how it compares we haven't quite got there we've got a labor price for the rewiring and actually the mad husband is going over well by the time this goes out the mad husband will have been on a recce trip with the architect to some bathroom suppliers so i give you an update on that in the next few weeks because we haven't really got into buying lots of materials we've got labor costs and things but again labor costs vary from city to city and town to village in this country so you know, I think it's it's hard to know. There are some things on the work spec which seem extraordinarily expensive, like taking up a carpet and getting rid of that seems to be incredibly expensive. So we're going to take that up ourselves, but they still want a lot of money to take it to the to the tip. Whereas brickwork doesn't seem to be expensive at all. So I mean, I you know, swings and roundabouts, but materials. I will keep you posted because, as I say, we haven't yet been to the bathroom suppliers. That's a job that's coming up. Now on with the show. I first met our guest, Michaela Sharp, when she was a contestant on the second series of BBC One's Interior Design Masters. She started out as an upholsterer and, following her success on the show, has gone on to carve out a career as a designer on Channel 4's Changing Rooms, as well as launching her own business, Studio Janetti, with fellow Interior Design Masters contestant Charlotte Beaver. Michaela, welcome to The Great Indoors. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat to you both. Hasn't it? been a crazy couple of years Michaela since I last saw you on a windy (laughs) beach Walton on the Nays there we were absolutely classic British summer weather lashing down with rain really really windy I got absolutely soaked through because I wore a fashion which had no water repulsion oh yeah I looked amazing I was Absolutely so. Do you know what I remember? <laughs> was that the Beach Huts It was one? Beach Huts. Yeah. Was that the Beach Huts? Yeah, it was yeah. Beach Huts. And yeah. what I remember most from that episode is I actually started to feel quite motion sick inside the cabin. <laughs> Because I could like see the sea wow. and it was really windy. My brain just was like, oh my God, you're on a boat. And I kept feeling really sick and having to go outside the hut. And it was super weird telling everyone like, yeah, I've got motion sickness. And they were like, but you're just in a beach hut, like completely stationary. <laughs> Get a grip, Get love. a grip. It's a beach hut. Yeah. And you just couldn't predict it. And it was fun because obviously we had to do loads of painting outside and paint the exterior of the huts. And all the while I was thinking... I was on a boat and, uh, <laughs> and I was going to get fall overboard Gosh. or something. I feel like it's sort of like the perfect place to start this interview is was on a windy, storm-ridden <laughs> beach hut because it would must have felt like you were in a constant kind of whirlwind oh being on that show. We've never actually had any of the contestants from Design Masters have on the not? podcast. <laughs> Can you give us a bit of an insight yeah. into what that process is like? Because it's pretty intense oh my goodness it? yeah it's actually the most intense thing I've ever done and I had filmed a tv show before that so I'd filmed a show called Flipping Profit on BBC One where I kind of went to different UK towns bought things and then had to do them up and sell them on so I thought I had a good idea of how tv worked which I don't know whether that helped me or hindered me because a competition process is so different and of course that you know you're up against nine other designers there's lots of personalities there and everyone's trying to make a different kind of tv show so rather than it being like completely just about the design it's also about what goes wrong you know where did where could you have done better and so you're constantly kind of analyzing yourself as you go through the process of like should I have done that should I could I have done better oh my god that person did x y and z that looks so much better than mine 
Um, and then every week I was trying to run my upholstery business in the background and trying to plan for next week if I got kicked out. So every week I'd take on a load of jobs for the week after because I'd be like, oh, this is the week I'm going home. And then I'd get through. And so I'd have one week to design and I'd be at home like rescheduling all this work that I had and saying, I think I'll be able to do it in two weeks time, but I'm actually not sure. And I can't tell you why, because obviously you're not meant to tell people that you're filming the show, but obviously wanting to tell everybody because every week I got through, I was so surprised and I think oh my god I want to shout this from the rooftops that I'm through another week but I had to keep it quiet so yeah it was really stressful and season two was filmed in lockdown so yes all yes, of the places yes, the, yeah. yeah all of the places I normally would have sourced from markets car boots all of those kind of things were closed and so we were driving up and down the country to all these locations and everything was quite quiet. You know, we were having to distance ourselves from everybody, wear masks. Um, and then suddenly you turn up and have this, you know, intensive week of like making and designing and being with all the trades and filming everything. And yeah, it was really, really full on. But it was amazing. It's interesting listening to you now because the whole sort of masks and distancing does feel like a lifetime ago. But it's it's interesting that notion, as you say, with a competition show, and there are many of them on the TV now, where you, you can't plan your life, can you? I mean, you work for yourself, so you were able to reschedule. But, I mean, Sophie, you might know this because you, you've worked in telly. How do people ever sort of... How, are, is, how is anyone able to commit to being in a TV competition? Because, as you say, you might be in for a week. You might say, oh, I'm going off to be on the telly. I'll be back in three months. And then you have to slink back yeah. into the office the next week going, yeah, didn't quite work out. <laughs> or, you know, you don't come back because you go further and further. Yeah. I mean, It's really hard. I'm guessing you don't get paid for it. No, so. you don't. It's something really interesting because I realised afterwards, without having a dig at any kind of production companies or TV shows, Afterwards, I did realise actually you do get quite similar contestants because of that. So often contestants are married because you need a partner who can do everything while you're completely consumed by something else for up to 16 or 18 weeks. Um, so most people that were, especially in my series, um, they lived with somebody, they lived with a partner who could, you know, look after the kids or do all the laundry or even just get the food in, help them load the van, all that kind of stuff. And people that tend to be a little bit more financially flexible, because as you say, you don't know if, if you're going to go all the way through. Often you can't take that much time off work as paid holiday, so you need to take unpaid time off work. And you're not paid for it. But um, I think it's something they've changed now, actually. I, I haven't been obviously a part of the show for the series that have changed. But I, I do think there's a different system in place to allow for that now, which is great. But I think it's fair to say, Michaela, you have absolutely jumped on the springboard of opportunity after being on the show. Um, and I think that's all, you know, there is no huge prize fund. You know, there is no job security at the end of it. So it's a very much a... You make of it what you can, don't you? And and I'd yeah. love to know yeah. your experience post being on the TV. I mean, how did you feel after leaving the show? Because you didn't win the competition. And I, and I think it's no, when it goes to... No, nowhere near. I know. I think it also goes to show that you don't have to be the winner either. But it's an opportunity to, to showcase your talents. So what, what happened yeah, um, after, after the show was aired? 
Oh, I mean, it was a, a fantastic springboard for me. It gave me so many insights, not just into TV, but also just into my own design process. When you come up against nine other individuals, it helped me kind of differentiate myself and realise, oh, actually, this is the way that I approach things. This is how I'm different. These are my unique selling points. And that was kind of a fast track into realising a lot of the answers to those questions. Yeah, and then, as you say, I didn't win. I came joint third with Paul and second was Siobhan and first was Lindsay and we all went off to do really different things but I I was lucky enough to do quite a lot of TV afterwards so I think because I have this upholstery background I was approaching interior design slightly differently to everybody else and I was able to also do a lot of the kind of hands-on making um, and product design of things as well so I mean I got to go and do changing rooms last year Wild, and that for me <laughs> oh, that just like it was such a pinch me moment because I I grew up watching changing rooms and you know watching all the teapots fall down and growing up with like Linda Barker and Lawrence Wellen Bowen so then when I got approached to join I just couldn't believe it and I do think that I wouldn't have got that opportunity if it hadn't have been for interior design masters you know I also do a show for discovery channel called uh, Woodland Workshop and I've done loads of other little kind of shows where I appear for segments and teach various things about upholstery or interior design so yeah it has really changed my workflow my work dynamic and and I'm really grateful for that because I love doing things that are quite mixed so even though I love doing interior design I love doing upholstery I also love doing tv I love writing a magazine column so it's now just like this really broad array of different things that I can do and I think in part it's because of the confidence of putting myself really out of my comfort zone and I kind of stepped away from the show and I thought wow if I can navigate that for 16 weeks and I can leave and feel like oh I actually represented myself quite well there and I feel quite proud of what I've achieved then it made me think okay well maybe maybe you can do more than you're than you're allowing yourself to kind of dream. One thing that I saw watching you and when I got to meet you on the show was also a huge personal journey you went went on. I mean, I'm hearing you sort of saying, oh, I went on this show and I just kept p- booking work in because I thought I'll be out next week, I'll be out next week. But Kayla, you were really good, but you didn't really... I'm not sure you really realised it and it took you quite a long time, I think, to realise that you had a real talent. So, did you know, I think that's the other lovely thing about the programme is, yes, it develops people's design skills, but I think with you in particular as well, it was a real journey of self-confidence and am I right in that am I is that a fair insight yeah totally so I've always had this weird thing where like I'll apply for the show so there's a level of confidence there where I think oh I could do this I think I'm capable but then I get to do certain things and then I have imposter syndrome which I think a lot of people have and especially when you're creative right you look at what other people are doing and you think oh I never would have thought of that I never would have put those things together you know and then you start doubting the way that you see things and and my own process because that process comes naturally to me so I think oh yeah but that can't be very valued because it feels easy and so maybe I should be doing something harder because these people are doing something different and so I don't know the the show kind of kept drumming it into me just do you you know do just because your design came to you doesn't mean that it's the wrong one but take the time maybe to elevate it and keep pushing yourself don't be complacent I just remember the first week going into everyone's rooms and thinking oh god I'm gonna be first out there's no way I will this is it and and I just went into every room and I thought wow I never ever ever would have 
thought of these schemes. I think that's such a lovely takeaway, though, for all of us, for anybody listening, whether you work, whether you are a fellow creative or even if you're just designing your own home. I mean, you went through a very extreme situation where you literally are being compared to other people. OK, most of us don't have that horrific... <laughs> horrific experience and you're doing it on national television but I think we can all get into that comparison spiral and we're seeing stuff on Instagram we're seeing stuff in magazines we're seeing what our friends are doing in their homes so I think your light bulb moment of like no I just need to stay in my lane listen to my gut my heart have the faith in my own creativity is something that all of us need to remember Totally. And everybody knows, we all know what we like and what we don't like, but people downplay it because they think, oh yeah, but I like this and I don't like that, but I don't know if that's the right answer. Like there's no right answer. If you like something, go with it and just always try and think, okay, well, how can I elevate it? And how can I, you know, make it even more special and more unique to myself and my design or my history or whatever. Um, But yeah, I think when it comes to design, everybody doubts their own taste and thinks oh is this will somebody else like it but you're not really designing for anybody else it's your home Sophie doesn't doubt (laughs) (laughs) Sophie doesn't need to doubt I'm going to admit whenever I'm judging design masters I do walk into some of those rooms and think who am I to judge this this is just amazing you know I think it's an extraordinary program because it takes a lot of you know rough hewn talent a lot of these people are not fully fledged designers they've got experience like you say yours was in textiles and upholstery but in terms of the full thing you're given no time to prep like literally a week or something you're given sod all money to do it and then I walk in and go oh my god I don't think I'd have ever dreamed up this it's genius yeah and and really I think one of the most fascinating things if you ask most of the designers you generally have to go with almost your first thought because you have one week to design it so you have to start ordering things and then you're committed so Later in the week, you start to think, oh, maybe I should have had a different that or a different wallpaper, change the colours, and you're kind of committed. Yeah, it's already on the already buying things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah. It's, really, it's really a tough process because you have to learn to just go with your intuition. And there's no like, oh, I'd, I'd kind of slept on this for a week or a month and then seen samples of things and thought, actually, no, I don't think I want them on. Like, you, you start buying and then that's it. You're, and your budget's so small that you're like, okay, it's... The design's done now. Yeah, and there's you know, no backup, I, I is there? There's no like, because oh, I love getting in like, I'll buy extra and then send back bits that don't work. But you've got to have the whole thing box ready to but go. But I think that's really good as a, as a sort of lesson for, for decorating life for everyone else, if you like. Because I get messages and I'm sure Sophie does too. You know, people have gone on Pinterest and they've got 3,000 pens on one kitchen board. They've completely got lost or they've called in 47 samples of navy blue paint and they're paralysed because they can't make a decision and I think there's a real importance to for us to to relearn how to listen to our gut I think when we're small when we start out we know what our gut instinct is telling us and somehow maybe because of the comparison thing or the social media thing we start to doubt ourselves and as exactly as you say we panic that oh I wouldn't have done it like that therefore I'm wrong but we do know what we like and we we've forgotten how to listen to that and sometimes just going do you know what I love that color I'm gonna have that color 
is the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same with life and design. You know, often the thing you think of first, oh, I really wish I could be doing X. I really wish I could spend my time doing Y. Uh, That is the thing that you will always come back to because it's like really in your core what you want. And then you talk yourself out of it, you know, oh, maybe I'm not good enough to do that. Or maybe I don't have time or maybe other things have to take precedence. Maybe I wouldn't be able to live with that colour if it was that shade. But actually just going with it, the more you go with your intuition, the more you trust it. Are you still and will you always be an upholsterer at heart or do you feel now that you're an interior designer who does upholstery? I say that I'm both and um, I think I'm both in equal measure now. I love, love, love upholstery and now I've realised that a really lovely element of my passion for upholstery is sharing it with other people. So um, I have a course online with Create Academy, as do you, Kate, where I teach um, upholstery and for complete beginners. And the feedback that I get on the course has kind of reignited my passion for upholstery because over the years I've done it so much that, you know, again, I kind of forget that the transformations can be so incredible to people that, you know, if you've had an armchair from granny in your house for years and years and years and you've grown up with it looking a certain way, then when you see it completely redesigned and colourful with beautiful trim, you know, it's totally transformed and it can really wow people. Um, So now I'm kind of teaching people to be able to do that themselves and it's going really well. And yeah, I think now my upholstery is kind of more rooted in that, in sharing it with other people. And that kind of came about because of the show, actually. So many people would come up to me after it aired and say, oh my God, I loved all the upholstery that you did and it's really inspired me to try some. And I thought, oh, that wasn't something that I thought would happen, that I would inspire people to try. And it was really nice to hear that. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's the thing that strikes me as a non-DIYer. You know, I've sanded some floors, I've painted some rooms, but, you know, I I am not that hands-on. Um, I used a drill once and terrified myself, so you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very basic. Kate, I used to drill once and gave myself a black eye, if that makes you feel any better. Oh, right, well, so. we're, we're on a level, but you have upholstery tools. That's the thing that struck me with that particular programme, and to a certain extent, changing rooms. People, you know, people come on and they're like, oh, I've got all these milk bottle tops, you know, I'm going to make a chandelier out of it. And a lot of it is a little bit blue peter but then you know learning upholstery is a is a proper proper skill that as you say can save you money give life to new furniture i mean then that's that's something we could all do yeah it's it's definitely something we could all do and it's something you also could do kate even even though you know you're saying oh i'm not very practical it's it's kind of the kind of skill that seems more complicated than actually it is. So what are you going to get? What are you going to get Kate making? Give us an idea of a good beginner's project. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> my my thing that I teach first is a headboard, a shaped Ooh. headboard. Oh, that's quite a big thing to start with. It, yeah, it's big. But it's because generally people get taught how to do a dining seat. And I think, God, yeah, how that boring. Is quite boring. You do, you've done all of that work. Well, it's also quite old fashioned. Yeah. We don't really have those dining chairs. So, I mean, with my the grandmother has. Old dining chairs with a drop-in seat that my mother had tapestry covered, you know. But that—that's quite niche now. So totally. And then imagine you've done all of that work and you've done one dining chair, but you've got three or five more. (laughs) So it's like, and then they get tucked under the table and sat on. So I think I was like, I don't see the the value in teaching that. But it's exactly the same process to scale that up and do a headboard. 
And so then adding in, okay, I, I'd love people not to make rectangular headboards unless you're using a really beautiful fabric. So I've added in how to cut your own board. So how to make your headboard with a split button and mount wow. it on the wall and make kind of a Kit Kemp style headboard, which are, they're so expensive, but they're just a flat piece of wood with foam on, you know. So they're <laughs> Come not... on, Kate Watson's fire. It's <laughs> just not... a flat piece of wood with foam on. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not complicated. <laughs> well, I have to say, actually, the, the one bit of sort of DIY, I don't know if it falls into that category, but moving into this house, I've rediscovered my sewing machine, which I maintained furiously for the last five years, has been broken and the tension is broken. And then we have... Uh, where I live, there's a little sewing shop at the end of the road. And I went sort of storming in there going, my machine is broken. The tension's all over the place. It's a disaster. And she she said, have, have you tried putting the bobbin in the right way, dear? Anyhow, the bobbin now goes in the right way, which on my machine, which is a brother, is so that it looks like a pea. I don't know if that's for all bobbins, but that's what mine needs. And turns out, sews up a storm. Now, nothing wrong with it at all. But so I've got into making and adapting curtains because that is sewing in straight lines. You know, there's, you don't have to do curves. I've made shower curtains. I've made linen curtains. I've made cafe curtains, all with a straight line. Yeah, sewing in a straight line is basically is basically upholstery as well. Like you know, sometimes it's you have to go around a corner. You want to say, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> no, but I mean, upholstery <laughs> is also just sewing in straight lines most of the time. So you know, if you're making piping, if you're like making uh, box cushions, most of it is straight lines. So if you've mastered the curtain, Kate, I think you're going to have to start making some box cushions now. I'll keep you posted. That's your you next posted. project. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from the burgeoning TV career the upholstery business, the online courses. You also have a business with your fellow contestant, um, Charlotte, Charlotte Beaver, who's a textile designer called Studio Janetti. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so Charlotte, I love Charlotte. We got on so well on the show. She's just so a ball of such wonderful energy. Um, And the whole process, we were talking about how we'd love to work together, that her textile design and my kind of skills for making were a really good fusion and then eventually we just decided to do it ourselves and launch our brand Studio Genetti which is named after both of our grandmothers who both taught us how to sew. How were the grandmothers named? Charlotte's grandmother is called Etty and my grandmother was called Janet so we kind of fused Janet and Etty to become Studio Genetti. Um, And the first collection, we looked at old photographs of us with our grandmothers and we pulled out shapes and Charlotte designed these really beautiful kind of paisley-esque stripes and florals. And then I sewed a load of cushions and we designed furniture and we wanted to make what we call like the new heirloom pieces. So pieces that you would invest in and treasure and eventually someone else will inherit and reimagine. So that it was really important to us that the frames of all the furniture are like hardwood and sustainably sourced. And all of the inners for our cushions are made from recycled plastic bottles. It was just a really fun process to work with Charlotte in that new way and get to see her designing from scratch something that she you know anything it kind of she could have designed anything she wanted I gave her carte blanche with the designs and I was so blown away by what she came up with and then I kind of focused on the shapes of things and making everything and it's just been great it's been really well received and actually it's really well received in the US 
loads of sales in the US. I don't, it's got quite a cottage core feel. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. Maybe it's in granny chic as well. So your your cottage granny yeah. core chic <laughs> yeah. thing is, you know, you're, you're, you're hitting all those buttons. So it was really a collaboration, first of all, born out of friendship. Then you saw the opportunity that you'd both got real complementary skills. And it is, I mean, obviously I've seen the collection. I love it because Charlotte's all about colour and pattern and it's very flamboyant and really quite out there. And then you've kind of done some, you know, with some some chair upholstery and there's lampshades as well, done some quite experimental upholstery as well. So the whole thing is... It's almost like you've just run with your own creative energies and created something that feels quite unique. Yeah, totally. I We wanted to, to really create things that are different and things that are going to stand out because I think it's really hard if you're trying to make things in a sustainable way because really, I guess, the answer is don't make more stuff. So we were like, if we're going to make things, um, it's important that they are really unique, really different, limited edition and and stand out from the crowd so that it gives people a reason to to buy these items and to look after them and, um, and to keep them for generations. So yeah, it was really fun to just think of all of the kind of shapes that I would love to make that I just had free reign to kind of go for it. And that's why there's just frills on everything. <laughs> so, I love a frill. So I'm like, how can I get frills onto this armchair? And I've never seen that before. No, that's genius. So this is an armchair, which is totally upholstered, even the feet are upholstered. And then it's got like a frill collar running all the way across the arms, across the back. Yeah, and kind of scalloped sides. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've really just nerded out. Yeah. Bridgerton. Oh, my God. Bridgerton chair. It would look so good on Bridgerton. Next season, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get Janetti chairs on Bridgerton. Oh, my dream. (laughs) Where are you selling your studio, Janetti? Is it it in store? Is it to order only? It's all made to order. Uh, The soft furnishings are all online on our website, studiogenetti.com, and the furniture is made to order lovely so much fun it it sounds like you're really following your heart Michaela that's what I'm hearing yeah I am I'm trying to talking of following your heart um uh, those of us who follow you on Instagram have noticed that you're also trying to perhaps buy a house or live in Spain and this is this is a theme I keep seeing people talking about on Instagram they want to go and live abroad or live a more nomadic lifestyle and I think there are the there are ways that's becoming easier so are you are you leaving us for the sunnier climbs or are you going to be between the two what's what's going on I technically at the minute I'm back in the UK trying to sort my Spanish visa out and that it would be another whole podcast how complicated it is to get a digital nomad visa in Spain not digital at all it turns out but on and off for the last kind of nine months I've been backwards and forwards to Spain there as much as I can on a tourist visa because of Brexit and looking for a house there when the TV show aired when Interior Design Masters aired I was kind of having a personal crisis and um, I was getting divorced, basically. And so I decided to kind of reevaluate my personal life. And if I was going to live a single life, how did I imagine it to 
to be. And I decided that I really wanted to live abroad. My ex had been the one that couldn't because of work and things like that. So I was like, okay, now's my excuse. Now's my chance. I've got no excuses left. So I kind of traveled for a bit and then settled on Spain because I, my family used to have a house in Spain growing up. So I'd spend every summer in the South of Spain. My Spanish is nowhere near as good as it could be. So because <laughs> that's what everyone says. Like, oh, so you speak Spanish? And I'm like, not really. I was brought up by my grandparents and they'd both passed away. And I had kind of been avoiding going back to Spain because it felt like quite an emotional place for me. But I went back and I just loved it. And I had this real feeling of connection and being grounded. And I thought, okay, this is going to be the next chapter. It's going to be based in Spain. I'm prioritising that over everything else, I guess. I'm prioritising the lifestyle I want over necessarily the work. Love that. It's a choice I'm making. (laughs) It means I will maybe miss out on certain things because I won't be in London. I won't be able to do fast turnarounds for things. But most of the shows that I do and I can fly back for and so far it hasn't really hindered me so yeah that's my next chapter and it feels a bit mad because I'm doing it on my own so I'm gonna buy what I hope will be a small farm in Spain and grow vegetables and have some animals and design it myself and live there in the countryside says the girl from Lewisham. <laughs> Again, it sounds nuts it is completely just as your career is exploding in london she's going to run off and grow vegetables in spain i love that though i mean what a life lesson to you know as you say just listening to your gut and seeing where it goes and uh, you know i mean i think there's a phrase isn't there trust the process or you know it'll take you where you need to be i love that and as you say you can still upholster things in spain and ship them wherever they need to be shipped a hundred percent i mean literally now let's get into this how is it going to (laughs) work i'm still gonna she hasn't thought about that she's (laughs) (laughs) i can do some business coaching now with kayla i really thought this through (laughs) well i can still design from there so i can still take interior design clients and work from there i can write my magazine column from there some of the other projects that I have coming up that aren't announced yet I can still do from there and then when I have to film things like Woodland Workshop I'll come back to the UK yeah so you really are a digital nomad it is really you can design online you can meet clients on zoom yeah you can do social media collaborations online yeah but you can't upholster somebody's sofa and ship it back to the I mean yeah okay I'm glad we've cleared that up yeah I can't do the upholstery but she can have Spanish clients yeah, She's I can. Have and to Spanish clients to do that. The thing is with the nomad visa is that you can only earn twenty percent of your income in Spain. So I have to be careful that I don't ever start to turn towards having too many clients based in Spain. But that's all. I think that's all fine. And I kind of work best under pressure, and I am so solutions driven when I have to be. So I just kind of trust that whatever will happen will happen and if I know that I'm there and I'm happy then I'll have the drive to be out there seeking work and and making it making it viable because that's where I want to be but yeah it, it is mad and all my friends are like I think they were a bit worried about me you know getting divorced and then saying I'm moving to Spain they were like is she having a breakdown but it's not really a breakdown I think it's just a break away it's a breakthrough a breakthrough yeah a breakthrough mm. that's cool there'll be a book in it next won't there and a film <laughs> who would play me in the movie <laughs> you see i always think i get helena bonham carter because she's got that slightly mad yes. dress sense with a you know a frilly knickerbockers on outside oh my her god jeans. yes and and insane hair i always get told um kate winslet for me that's oh she's that. my favorite take that 
So who's playing you, Michaela? Do you know, I think I would love Michaela Cole. Oh, yeah. I just love her. And she, <laughs> yes. She'd make, it, she'd make it so edgy and cool. But I don't know if we really <laughs> share that many similarities, but um, I would just love her to do it. We can go with that. <laughs> I think this is a brilliant... Helena, Kate and Michaela, we'll get them on a Zoom and we'll make it happen, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Please, let that be the next chapter for all of us. I'm putting it in your court, Michaela, because the way you're going with your manifesting energy, I don't put anything past you at the moment, I think. Mm. Next stop, movies. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. absolute joy. I wish you all the best. Thank you. I really do. Thank you. It's been so lovely chatting to you both. So to follow on with Michaela's adventures, you can follow her on Instagram at Michaela Sharp Design. That's Michaela without an H and Sharp without an E. And on that note, Michaela has also, as we mentioned, mentioned a course for Create Academy where she teaches you to upholster three projects, including that headboard she was talking about. Oh, and an armchair too. Gosh, that seems quite adventurous. Anyway, she's very kindly offered our Great Indoors Insiders a generous and exclusive 20% discount code. So Insiders, look out for your newsletter this week and it'll be winging its way to you. And if you'd like to benefit from that discount and membership of the Great Indoors Insiders Club, which also includes ad-free listening, bonus content and first dibs on ticketed events, just visit thegreatindoorspodcast.com to sign up. And meanwhile, while we're feeling bossy, uh, don't forget to send us your style dilemmas for our monthly style surgery. A voice note is always preferred. Pop it over to our email address, help at thegreatindoorspodcast.com. Thank you so much to Natural Matt for supporting the show. Don't forget that discount, Great Indoors 10, which lasts until the 31st of August 2023. And thank you also to Michaela for taking the time to chat to us. And while we're doing the thank yous, thanks to our producer, Sarah Cudden of Feast Collective. And thank you to you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors. <laughs>